written to be passed around. And so the first letter that he wrote to the Ephesians was meant to be passed around. Last week, we, we finished up Colossians last week, and I mentioned there's a couple of different times in there that he says to, to pass this letter on to Aeropolis and Laodicea so that though, and, and to read their letters as well. So they're to be passed around this letter. This letter is, is different. This is written to, to a person. And there's a couple other letters, a couple pastoral letters that we'll look at as we close out this series here in August. There's a couple other pastoral letters, but this one is even different than, than those. He gives a different kind of tone, and different instructions here in Philemon. This is a short, this is Paul's shortest writing that we have. Uh, it's, it's 25 verses that you can see there. It's, it's just over 300 words in this whole book. And yet, from the very beginning, it's been held together by the church. It's been held on to by the church as part of the canon, part of Scripture. And so this morning, we're going to look at it a little bit. You can see it. It'll be on the screen. You can use it, your pew Bible. We're exactly 500 pages past Psalm 99. We were on page 500 for that. We're on page 1,000 for Philemon. It falls towards the end of Paul's writings. It falls right after the book of Titus, right before the book of Hebrews. It's only one page, probably, in your Bible. But let's read it together. It's 25 verses. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Epaphra, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but out of your own accord. For this, for this perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your very self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, 
for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. A short and sweet letter from Paul to Philemon, and yet loaded with lots and lots of different things. Let me share with you, I think I, I, the way I want to look at this letter for us is just to look at three, three different characters that we find in this story in Philemon. The first one, actually the, the one that we don't even hear about until verse 10 is, is Onesimus. He's the reason this whole letter is being written. Paul's writing this letter because there's this man named Onesimus who he has come into contact with here in Rome. Onesimus was a slave. He was a slave to Philemon. A bond servant is the term that Paul uses here in the ESV version. Onesimus, his, his very name, his very name means useful. That Paul kind of makes a pun partway through when he talks about him. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to me and to you, playing off of of Onesimus' name. He was useful. He, he maybe even got that name while he became, while he was a servant and a slave in Philemon's house. It's hard for us. It's hard for us in, in, in our Western mindset. It's hard for us to, to understand and to talk about slavery. We have a, we have a different picture, I think, than, than what it would have been like during this time, during Paul's time, uh, during Jesus' time. Slavery was, was, was rampant through the Roman Empire. In fact, some things I read this week said that, that uh, even maybe one-third of the population in the Roman Empire were, were slaves or, or bond servants. Romans were always worried that there was going to be some kind of slave uprising because there were so many slaves in their society. So they were always making sure that they did things to keep slaves in their place. And Onesimus is one of those slaves. Oftentimes, slavery oftentimes was a voluntary or bond servantry, as we hear about here in the ESV version. It was oftentimes a voluntary thing. Sometimes low-income or destitute people knew that they had no possible way for them to, to make enough income to, to, to take care of themselves, much less anyone else that would be in their family. And so sometimes they would go to, uh, to someone who had means of some kind and they would voluntarily give their life to them as a servant so that they then would be cared for in that household. And so they would give their life in service so that they would be able to be cared for and maybe even possibly care for their family. It was a way to be, it was, it was seen as a way for, for people to take care of their most basic needs. Oftentimes, Oftentimes, servants and slaves who are part of well-to-do families were, were much better off than some of the lower classes because of the ways that they were able to live in the household that they were with. We don't know exactly, we don't know exactly how Onesimus came into Philemon's home. We don't know how he got there. We don't know what his duties were. We don't know any of those things. But what we can read and infer in this letter is that Onesimus 
was one time in Philemon's house as a slave or as a bond servant, and then he wasn't. Onesimus, from what we can tell, from what we can read, Onesimus runs away from Philemon, takes off, probably even takes off with some money, some kinds of, of cash value, some kind of something that he can, can try to survive on as he runs away from Philemon's household. He heads off to the west. He probably goes to Ephesus. He ends up in Rome where Paul is imprisoned. And again, we don't know how Paul and Onesimus come together. Paul, though, sometimes Onesimus and Paul sometimes meet together while Paul is, is, is imprisoned in Rome. It's possible, it's possible that Onesimus maybe even sought out Paul. It's maybe that, maybe that he tried to find him. It's maybe that, that Onesimus has, has run away. He's, he is, he's, he's run as far as he can away from Philemon, and he knows, he comes to his senses. He knows he can't run forever. He knows that, there's, that, that he, he wants to go back, much like the, the prodigal son comes to his senses and know, he knows he needs to return. Onesimus knows he wants to go back, and yet also knows he cannot just show up at Philemon's door. And so it's possible that he even finds Paul and hopes that maybe Paul will be able to to help him and and maybe be a liaison of some kind to bridge the gap between Philemon and Onesimus. We don't know how it comes together, but this is what Paul tells us in his letter. Paul says that during our time together, Onesimus has become a believer that he has come to faith in Christ through the ministry of Paul. And not only has he come to faith in Christ, but Paul says, he has become like a son to me. He's become like a son to me. In fact, the quote that, that he says there is, is, he is my very heart. Onesimus is my very heart, Paul says. While Onesimus and Paul are together, Paul, Onesimus, uh, I'm sure, listens to all of the teachings that Paul is doing. He's there as Paul is writing these letters to the church in Ephesus and the church in Colossae. He's, he's hearing all of the things that Paul is talking about and teaching about. He's learning all these things. He's growing in his faith. And he's becoming more and more and more, I think, aware of his sin, especially the baggage of sin that he has back at Philemon's home. In fact, as Paul, as Paul talks often, I'm sure, about the teachings and ministry and messages of Jesus, he, Onesimus, hears over and over this from the Sermon on the Mount. If you are, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Jesus said, leave your gift there before the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Onesimus heard those teachings. He heard Paul sharing those things. And there had to be this agony growing inside of him. Onesimus has this dilemma. He needs to to go back. He needs to be reconciled with Philemon. He needs to make atonement for for his sin. He He needs to go back. And yet, 
And yet Onesimus cannot just return. If he were to return, the penalty typically in these kinds of situations would have been death. The penalty for a slave running away would have been death. The penalty for a slave stealing from its owner would have been death. Remember, the Romans are trying to do anything they can to keep these slaves from uprising, and so the penalties were oftentimes quick and harsh. And Onesimus knows the penalty for what I have done is probably death. The best case scenario penalty for him would be that he would get back to Philemon's home and Philemon would decide not to kill him, but instead just to brand him, probably with a giant F right on his forehead so that everyone who ever looked at him for the rest of his life would know that he had been a fugitive and had returned back and was a part of Philemon's house. Onesimus knows, too, that he owes a debt He probably stole some money as he left that's been well spent and gone through. And there's no way, there's no way that Onesimus is ever going to be able to make up what he has taken from Philemon and what he owes Philemon. His dilemma is impossible. And I'm sure there were days where he talked to Paul, where they conversed about it, where they talked about it, where, where Paul probably even encouraged him, you know, at some point you're going to have to go back. At some point you're going to have to go back to Philemon's home. And it's here, I think, when Epaphras comes and when Epaphras begins to share with Paul, and you've heard that in these last couple of messages, share about the church in Ephesus and the church in Colossae and some of the things that are happening there. It's here that Paul says, you know, I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to write a couple of letters. I'm going to send all of these letters off. And, and Tychius is there, and Tychius is going to take these letters, and it becomes apparent, probably to, to, for sure to Paul, but probably to Onesimus too, that there is an opportunity here for Onesimus to return back. There's three characters in the story. The first is Onesimus. He's the one who did the wrong. But the other character, the first character actually that we read is Philemon, the one who's been wronged. Philemon, you can see at the beginning of the letter, there is all kinds of great things that Paul says about Philemon. Philemon is a, is a beloved fellow worker. Philemon probably probably was a good friend of Epaphras. He probably even, when Epaphras, uh, if you remember as we, as we w- talked about uh, Epaphras in, in these last couple of books, Ephesians and Colossians, Epaphras uh, was from Colossae. Epaphras came to Ephesus probably while Paul lived for three years in Ephesus. And Epaphras came to faith uh, in, in, in Ephesus while Paul was teaching there. They say, the commentators tell us, that Philemon probably was also there as well, probably with Epaphras at the same time. Philemon and Paul, it appears in this letter, they know each other. Paul is familiar with Philemon. And so Philemon probably came to faith maybe just like Epaphras did through the ministry of Paul in Ephesus. Epaphras is a beloved fellow worker, Paul calls him. Paul says that that you have faith and love for Jesus and for all the saints. Paul tells us that Philemon shares his faith, shares his faith for Jesus' sake. 
Paul tells us that Philemon refreshes the hearts of the saints. Philemon's a pretty good guy. Philemon's a pretty good guy. Philemon is not, Philemon is not the bad guy in this story. In fact, Philemon has, he is the one that has been wronged. There's no doubt about it. There's no other way to work it. Philemon is the one who's in the right. Philemon is the one who has been wronged. Philemon is right in every sense of the word. He's in the right in every sense of the word. If you were to take this case to the court of law, Philemon is the one that's been wronged. Philemon would win on every level. If you were to take this to the court of public opinion, Philemon was in the right. He was the, he was the, the, the kind and probably just slave master. He was the, he was the one who, who, who shares his faith for Jesus' sake, who refreshes the hearts of the saint. He probably was a pretty good leader in his household. Onesimus was the one who ran away. Onesimus was the one who stole the money. Onesimus is the one who has done all of these things. And yet Philemon, and yet Philemon is the one who Paul is writing this letter to. He's the one that's been wronged, and yet Paul is trying to stretch him. Paul is, of course, the third character in this story. Onesimus is the one who wronged Philemon. He ran away and stole some money. Philemon is the one who has been wronged, but Paul is the one who's writing the letter. Paul is the one who, who makes, who appeals, who, who demands at one point even commands or says he's not going to command, but really is commanding. Paul's the one who expects reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. This whole letter is about Paul appealing to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. That's what he says there in verse 8. He's appealing to him on behalf of Onesimus. He's even doing more than that. Paul is, is pleading, pleading on behalf of Onesimus, but he's also stepping in. Paul also is the one that's saying, if there's any charges, we know that there's something that's owed. There's no, we know that, that Onesimus has stolen something from you that will, he'll never be able to repay. And so Paul is saying, I'm asking you to pass this charge on to me. I will pay. I will pay whatever it is that Onesimus owes. One commentator that I, I read this week said, can you imagine... Philemon writing out a bill to the Apostle Paul. Here's the bill. This is what you owe. But Paul's willing to take it. Whatever it is that Onesimus owes. Paul, though, is not just pleading on Onesimus' behalf. He's not just taking on what Onesimus owes. But he also, as you read through here, expects obedience from Philemon. You see that in, in several places, but specifically in verse 21, Paul writes, I'm confident, I'm confident of your obedience, knowing that you will do even more than I say. He's confident in the, he's confident in the obedience 
that Philemon's going to have. But, verse 22, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that though your prayers will be graciously given to you, he expects obedience, but then he's going to double check and stop by and see how it goes. If you're a parent, you know exactly what that's like. Expecting obedience and yet double-checking to make sure that it goes the way that you want it to go. Paul is putting to the test the exact relational transformation that he's been talking about in these last couple of letters we've looked at. Do you remember that? At the end of Ephesians, chapters 5 and 6, and chapter 4 of, of Colossians, Paul's already written this. It's it's gone out to these churches. They've heard that Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Every relationship is different because of Jesus. That's what we've been looking at in, in Ephesians and in Colossians. Jesus changes everything. Husbands and wives relate differently because of Jesus. Children and parents relate differently because of Jesus. Bond servants and masters relate differently because of Jesus. Jesus changes everything. And Paul is saying, what I have been telling you in these other letters, what I have been writing to you in other letters, we can, we can only assume that the letters that we don't have to Aeropolis and Laodicea were very similar to these, these letters that we've seen to Ephesus and to Colossae. Jesus changes everything. Every relationship is different because of Jesus. And Paul is putting this to the test with Philemon. One of the unique things about this letter that Paul writes to Philemon is that there's a a difference here compared to the other letters. This is the one letter that Paul writes that doesn't give some kind of detailed teaching and reminder about Christ's death and resurrection and redemption on behalf of believers. Paul doesn't spell it out here in this letter to Philemon. It's spelled out in all the other letters, but it's not spelled out in this one. The reason for that is obvious. Paul Paul doesn't need to have a written reminder about Jesus and his ministry of reconciliation because Paul is the example of Jesus. Paul is the one that pleads on Onesimus' behalf. Paul is the one that takes on the debt that Onesimus cannot pay. Paul is the one that confidently expects obedience from Philemon. Paul is the one, Paul is the one that is going, hoping to return to double check. Paul is the one who is the example of Jesus in Philemon. Paul is the one that stretches out his arms and brings Onesimus and Philemon together. You can imagine what it would have been like. The typical way that these letters would be brought to churches is that is the one who would bring the letter, in this case Tychius, would stand before the church and read the letter as a proclamation from Paul. And so on this day in Colossae, Tychius probably reads the book of Colossians, that letter that we just walked through. Where again, in chapter 4, he's telling us that masters and bondservants are to relate together in a new and different way. And on this 
day, after they read that letter to the whole church, he then reads this letter. It's not a private letter. In fact, there's several names listed at the very beginning. It's to be read in front of the church that meets in Philemon's home. And so Tychius says, I have another letter here for you as well. This letter is written to Philemon. Tychius begins to read it, and there, in front of the whole group, in front of the church, Onesimus and Philemon standing side by side, looking directly at each other. Paul makes this plea for redemption, for reconciliation. He pleads on Onesimus' behalf with Philemon. There's not another letter that tells us exactly what happened. We don't know exactly how they respond. Paul was confident of Philemon's obedience. And we can probably follow along with that expectation. This is what we do know, though. Several commentators have mentioned this as I read it this week. Later, 50 years later, down the road, there's another man who named Ignatius. Is a, he, he's a writer. He's one of the early Christian martyrs in the church 50 years after this book would have been written. And he's being transported from Antioch to Rome to be executed. And while he's going, he's writing letters to churches, some of these same churches that we have here. And in his letter to the church in Ephesus, Ignatius writes this. He praises the leader, Bishop Onesimus, and even makes the exact same Pauline pun about once being useless, but now being useful. It appears that Onesimus, probably this very same Onesimus, the runaway slave, becomes the great bishop of the church of Ephesus. He's reconciled. He's redeemed. They're brought back together. The worship team's going to come and lead us in just a moment, but I want you to think today. I want you to think about how you come to this letter of Philemon this morning. Maybe you're like Onesimus. Maybe you're, you come this morning and you know, you know you're in the wrong. You know that you have something inside you. You know that you have something in some relationship around you. You know that there's something that has to be made right. Maybe you're on the other side, and we've all been on the other side, where we are, all, we are 100% completely in the right. Everyone knows that we're right. We're right in the court of the law. We're right in the court of public opinion. We have done everything right. We are kind and generous in all ways. But now we're being asked to put our faith, to stretch it a little bit farther, to put our faith into action. I don't know how you come this morning. Maybe you're in both of those camps. But I don't want you to be stuck on Onesimus and Philemon, but I want you to remember the third person in this story. Not Paul, but Jesus. Paul told us about it in 2 Corinthians. Remember that letter? 
said, therefore, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. I don't know how you come today whether you've done something wrong that needs to be made right or whether you've been wronged and know you're in the right. Wherever you are in that story, Jesus changes everything. Christ has reconciled us to himself and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so we can leave this morning confident in our obedience, knowing that Jesus Christ works in us and has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Will you stand with me? We'll sing together this morning. sins in your body as you were hung on a tree so we might die to rebellion and live for him who sets us free you
today. I hope you can stay for lunch and join us in the activity center today. <laughs> 